Thank you so much for this invitation. It's a pleasure to be on this panel today. I would like to just ensure that people understand that I'm going to make rather conceptual remarks. I'm not a technical expert on AI, on the specific metrics that we, we might want to adopt or that we are currently adopting. But because I'm also the executive director of Future Foresight and Imagination at the Dubai Future Foundation, which is basically about establishing a research base for the future of the city, we are addressing some of the queries, some of the points that we're discussing here today, as well, uh, trying to anticipate what the best possible way is going forward. So it's therefore fitting that actually today I'm speaking to you from London as I'm accompanying our Minister for Artificial Intelligence and the Digital Economy. One of the big challenges that we know of and that we also have discussed that Pirat has mentioned earlier is as we are thinking about the future that's often quite far in the distance, we don't really have the right notions or metrics or even ideas to express what those futures might be. So we have to be a little bit imaginative. Now, in order to be imaginative, we have to go also back into history. Of course, we're talking here about the fourth industrial revolution, and it's fitting, I think, to remember that the first industrial revolution happened around 1756, the second around 1870, which was really the emergence of new technologies or the development of new energy, including oil and gas and electricity. That was then followed by the nuclear revolution in, uh, in the 1960s. No economic growth really was observed until 1800s. And so that is clearly linked to the advent of the second industrial revolution. With that, collective and individual productivity has increased thanks to new and emerging technologies. So with technologies, we can do more and achieve more. But what about the long-term consequences? Carbon dioxide emissions have started and atmospheric concentrations have increased and that it has taken us to the early 1950s to really fully appreciate and grasp what the implications are for the increase in concentrations of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and what it means for our environment. So that theory was corroborated only uh, around the 1950s. Now, it would have been great today to have that lens to look back and understand that what we were doing starting in the 1750s, then by the 1870s, could lead to the outcomes that we're witnessing today. I think it's also sobering to remember that people like Eunice Foote in 1856 already speculated that increased levels of carbon dioxide might influence global temperatures. So there are always, wherever you are, whatever topic you look at and whichever technology or signal you're looking for, there are people who are able to identify some of those very early signals. Often they're not taken seriously and even more frequently they're just not being listened to. So now we look back and understand that the early tracks of climate change were set back in the 1700s. Now there are things in life and in society that are pervasive and they're omnipresent. They're just, we feel, part of life. So our work, our production systems, wealth, production processes. They are just a thing. They're there. We engage. We don't even think about them. Collectively, societally, we fail to think about these things much more deeply and necessarily than we generally are. And so that brings me to the point also that Gavin had mentioned earlier, GDP, established in 1937 by Simon Kuznets, in 44, adopted by the Bretton Woods Conference as a, as a standard to measure economic performance. And already in 1959, the first challenges were thrown by Moses Abramovitz, saying that GDP does not measure well-being. So GDP, as you all know, there's a felt, there's a perceived need to rethink how that measure is expressed and whether there are better measures to 
describe economic performance, perhaps including some of the externalities that might be uh, emerging as a consequence. AI project measurements today often reductively look at money made or saved, numbers of lives saved or deaths prevented, the time saved, the goods collected, the goods delivered. Today, in the main, this is about achieving immediate, tangible measures. And I think it's really imperative to move away from the specific uh, and more to the higher level future-facing questions that we need to explore about AI. Right now, the narrative about AI is very upbeat. It seems that we want it so badly. So the future of AI is everything hyper-personalized, everything optimized, everything efficient, everything digital, everything delegated. So what does it mean for us in 200 years from now? If we are now living through the consequences of those early tracks set by the first and second industrial revolutions hundreds of years ago, what is the consequence of AI in 200 years' time? So like the country where I work, the United Arab Emirates, the AI future is longer than its history. This compels us, I think, to think about the future much more, not about whether or not it is or a specific AI project is successful, but whether an AI future is and by what measure. So to me, the most serious concern, and this is slightly different to the upbeat narrative that we're witnessing so much, the most serious concern for the future of AI is when it becomes inextricably linked to our persona, when our lives are immersed in the digital reality, when our ability to choose whether or not to be part of the digital reality has been delegated to previous generations. When neural devices are seamless to use, can read and write to our brains, and we have clicked agree to terms and conditions as a matter of habit far too many times. So the ultimate measure, I think, ought to be, whether directly or indirectly, forcefully or by nudge, AI systems wrench from us the decisions that make us who we are.